everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. The 2021 Clinical Vaccinology course, presented by the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, is an opportunity to hear about the latest vaccination recommendations from leaders in the field, including the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, or the ACIP. Dr. William Schaffner is here to speak with us today about COVID-19 vaccines, hepatitis vaccination across at-risk populations, preventing pneumococcal disease through vaccination, and vaccine safety and hesitancy. Dr. Schaffner is the medical director for the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, a professor of preventative medicine in the Department of Health Policy, and a professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Schaffner. To start, what are some of the hottest topics mentioned among the updates from the ACIP meeting? Well, the latest ACIP meeting was on the 1st of November. Today, we're getting together on November 18. There's another ACIP meeting tomorrow that will talk about boosters to COVID vaccine. But at the last meeting, I would think that there were two major issues that were addressed. First, with COVID vaccine, there's always a COVID vaccine issue. It had to do with younger children, age 5 to 11, whether or not they should be offered COVID vaccine universally. And we can talk about that. And the other had to do with an old favorite, hepatitis B and the vaccine. And uh, what the committee did, and we can talk about this also, it extended the universal recommendations beyond uh, childhood and adolescence through adulthood up to age 60. So that's really a major change. And we can talk about the reasons for that also. We understand COVID-19 vaccination recommendations are rapidly evolving, but as of the November 1st meeting, what were the COVID-19 vaccination recommendations from the ACIP work group? Well, as I said, the big issue was, should this vaccine be given to children 5 to 11 years of age? It's the Pfizer vaccine that was first in line that came forward. It's one third of the dose that's normally given to older adolescents and adults. It it was found that that's all that was necessary in those younger children. So why why vaccinate the children? Because, you know, we've heard that uh, children are much less affected by COVID than are adults. And of course, that continues to be correct. But, and let me say again, but, The equation changed once the Delta variant came on the scene. We have to change our thinking a little bit. Yes, they're less affected, but boy, they're more affected than we originally thought. Let me give you just a few numbers to put it in context. There have been over eight, as of November 1st, the meeting, there were there'd been over 8,300 children in this age group, five to 11, who'd been hospitalized with COVID. And a third of them required pediatric intensive care unit care. There had been 94 children age five to 11 
who died of COVID. And that's not all. COVID continues to cause multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Over 2,200 children had been affected by this syndrome. You know, it occurs uh, four to six to eight weeks after you recover from even mild COVID. And the five to 11-year-old age group is the age group most affected. Then there's, if we haven't talked about enough, there's also long COVID. You recover from COVID, but symptoms persist for weeks and sometimes months. There was some data from the United Kingdom suggesting that as many as 7 to 10% of children in this age group might indeed have some form of long COVID symptoms. So I think it's pretty clear that we would like to prevent absolutely as much of this illness in children as possible. You know, this is more illness in this age group than is caused by many other diseases for, whom, for, for which we vaccinate routinely at the present time. So uh, now uh, let's be honest about this because we have to look at the other side of the coin also. And that has to do with safety. And here the issue, of course, is myocarditis, that inflammation of the heart muscle, which is rare, occurs in, in adolescents and young adults anyway, at a rate of about one per 100,000 immunizations. It occurs more often in boys than girls and more often after the second dose of the vaccine than the first. Fortunately, it's pretty mild. People get over that in, for the most part, very, very quickly. And pediatricians and family doctors have all now been trained to recognize this. So when it came to a vote, it was clear. Every single member of the ACIP voted in favor of recommending that all children be vaccinated uh, against COVID now in this age group, five to 11. And that adds, of course, to the previous recommendation that children 12 and older should also be vaccinated. For youngsters less than five years of age, those studies are still underway. So we have lots of children who are eligible for vaccination. And I'm also pleased to say that the American Academy of Pediatrics has strongly endorsed this recommendation also. Let's talk about hepatitis now. What are the hepatitis vaccination recommendations for at-risk populations? Yeah, so hepatitis B. Uh, let's remind ourselves what this is. Uh, this is a virus that circulates in the bloodstream and is transmitted from person to person uh, through intimacy, sexual intimacy. There's a lot of debate about whether just kissing, intensive kissing can transmit it. It can be transmitted by needles also, even in the care of patients with diabetes, for example, or glucometers that measure your uh, blood glucose concentration. Uh, our current recommendations, oh, and, and I should say, this infection 
can have long-term consequences. Uh, there's not only the acute illness, which can make you very, very sick, but you can develop chronic active hepatitis. This virus can remain in your liver and smolder, producing cirrhosis and down the road, liver cancer. Now, the current recommendations are that every child in the United States gets vaccinated up to their 19th birthday. Now, beyond the 19th birthday, there's a whole long list of indications. In fact, there are 16 different categories, which nobody can keep straight. And so our vaccination of adults, 19 and older, is not nearly as comprehensive as what our pediatrician and family doc uh, colleagues do for children. And furthermore, although cases have been coming down, particularly in the youngest age groups, there's actually been a plateauing and an uptick in cases in middle-aged adults. And we think that that has mostly to do with the opioid epidemic here in the United States. And of course, that involves needle sharing and other kinds of intimacies. So the discussion was, should we extend universal vaccination beyond the 19th birthday? And if so, to what age? Well, there was a back and forth about that. And what, what the committee decided, once again, universally, is that they were going to recommend this as a universal vac vaccination up to age 60. And then beyond 60, if the individual had risk factors, they may be vaccinated. Discuss it with your doctor. Uh, what sort of risk factors might influence that? Well, if they're in a congregate setting and they have diabetes and they're using glucometers, there have been outbreaks in settings like that. You might want to consider vaccinating a person uh, who's in that setting. And then, although it wasn't directly that discussed, it was evident in things in, in some of the statements that were alluded to, it's obvious that people age 60 and older can have sex with each other. And they may not always have sex with the same partner. So if you're in that circumstance, for sure, you ought to consider getting vaccinated against hepatitis B. Now, once the recommendation is made, we're going to have to really do a big educational campaign of essentially all the internists and family doctors uh, out there in the United States that this is a new recommendation. Every adult, if you haven't been vaccinated, and you're up to age 60, is now a candidate for hepatitis B vaccination. What is the importance of preventing pneumococcal disease through vaccination? So, Jessica, pneumococcal disease, uh, that's, that was dealt with in a, another recent um, ACIP meeting. We know this is a bacteria that can cause bloodstream infections and pneumonia. And as a matter of fact, because of the pneumonia connection, it's often called the pneumonia vaccine. We have a couple of pneumococcal vaccines that we've been using. Uh, one is what we call a conjugate vaccine. 
It protects against 13 different strains of the pneumococcus. And yes, all this, this bug, this bacteria comes in a variety of strains and there's not any cross protection to, to talk of. So you have to protect against each individual strain. And there are many strains, but 13 of the most common. And then there's another older vaccine that's used that provides some protection against an additional number of strains. We call that the polysaccharide vaccine. So what occasioned this discussion was that there are two new vaccines on the, on the market, one that protects against 15 strains and the other against 20. Aha. Also, the current recommendations are very complicated. So the ACIP looked at the current recommendations in light of these two new vaccines and uh, simplified them. They said, first, if you're 65 and older, you should receive pneumococcal vaccine, either the 20 alone or the 15 plus the old polysaccharide 23. So either one or the other, your provider will probably decide which one they have in their office and which ones they will use. If you are younger than age 65 and you have a list of um, predisposing factors to pneumococcal disease, heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, and the like, there is a list of those. Your provider will know them. The answer is same, same, either 15 plus polysaccharide or the 20 valent vaccine now. So the recommendations are much simpler, easier for the doctors and the providers to, to remember. And I think this will lead to greater acceptance and use of pneumococcal vaccine. You'd like to prevent pneumonia. It's a substantial still cause of death among older persons. And these pneumococci can also get into your bloodstream, in which case they can make you very, very sick. So it's also very good to get protected against pneumococcal disease. What is the importance of having conversations with your patients about vaccine safety and vaccine hesitancy, particularly COVID-19 vaccine safety and hesitancy? Ah, yes. Uh, we've had many more, Jessica, hesitant patients, uh, skeptical patients when it comes to COVID vaccine. And I have to say, even some patients who are downright stubborn about not receiving this vaccine. So I think doctors across the country are having these conversations, trying to educate people, answer their questions, recognizing that hesitancy and skepticism are normal. You have to validate that and then ask the patient about what it is that concerns them specifically, and then offer them information. Information is absolutely important, but also offer them reassurance and a sense of comfort because that's often what makes people change their mind, their sense that they're comfortable. And if the provider is sympathetic, listens, provides information, and then reassurance, then I think they can get people to accept COVID vaccine more readily. They won't be 100% successful, 
but I think they can move people in that direction. Is there anything else that you'd like to add today, Dr. Schaffner? Well, <laughs> change is the only constant, right? And so uh, with adult immunizations, the research pipeline is very active with vaccines of all kinds. And I think particularly when it comes to this new technology that we use for the COVID vaccines, this mRNA, I think we'll see down the road, not tomorrow, but some years down the road, new vaccines that are using uh, this technology. So we all ought to stay tuned. And uh, I think we would uh, all be well to remember what that founding father, Benjamin Franklin, reminded us of. He told us that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The ounce of prevention is vaccines. Let's get ourselves vaccinated and let's vaccinate our patients. Well, thank you for your time today. We appreciate having you on the podcast. Jessica, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much.